Hello and welcome to the Making It in Nashville podcast. This is your friendly neighborhood podcast where each week we sit down with a Nashville-based small business owner, entrepreneur, maker of things, community member, ask them what they're making and how they are making it in Asheville. And this is a very special season. This season has been entirely focused on e-commerce businesses here in Asheville, um, selling physical things, products, uh, and sending them to people all over the country, region, world, city, town, um, universe. And so uh, really exciting season, learned a ton, saw some really different businesses, saw a lot of similarities. And we are uh, here in the waning hours of this exciting season with possibly the greatest guest on the podcast ever, my favorite guest by a landslide. Uh, Sarah Ubertaccio is here to join us, founder of QB Cucina, based right here in Asheville, North Carolina. There's, and, a, lot of, there's a lot of bias in your <laughs> statement. <laughs> you might not have noticed, but my name is Tony Ubertaccio. I'm the host of the Making It in Asheville podcast. This is my wife, Sarah Ubertaccio. It is great to have you back on the pod, Sarah. It's great to be back. Uh, so to do just a little catch up for anyone listening to the podcast, A, for the first time, or B, uh you know, only listening since 2023, like when we started the podcast, we were co-hosts mm -hmm. and a lot has changed since. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the biggest changes in our world is, well, A, we have a child now, so throw that aside. Uh, not actually, metaphorically. The other biggest change is QB Cucina exists. And so uh, we've just celebrated three year anniversary of QB Cucina. And tell us a little bit about what it is and where you're at today with the business. Yeah. Um, well, we're an online shop that sells pasta tools and artisanal kitchenware, um, mostly made in Italy, at the very least inspired by Italy. Um, and then we also have a, an Italian cookbook club. Um, where we cook from a different Italian cookbook every couple of months, and our members cook different assigned recipes. We get to talk with the authors, etc. So yeah, those are kind of the two key points of our business. I, I, I that was very concise and very uh, well done. And so, uh, Italian food enthusiasts. Uh, line up from near and far to follow along and participate. Like, what is um, what are some of the products? What are people buying? Why do they go to you? Can you get uh, like so? We, oh, if you're not watching on YouTube, uh, if you're listening uh, on your favorite podcast player, consider checking out YouTube. There's a bunch of uh, table toys here to help illustrate some of the points, perhaps, mm -hmm. of yeah. what pasta tools are and what makes these tools particularly interesting or unique. But um, I think most people would like to eat pasta and Italian food. Yes. And then some subset of that has ever tried to make pasta or Italian food, uh, you know, sauces. And so a smaller subset then is so enthusiastic that they want to buy tools. Talk to us about some of the tools. Talk to us about the community. Who are these people and yeah. where are they hiding? Yeah, it's a very niche thing for sure, as you kind of alluded to, with most people want to eat the pasta, but maybe they don't make the pasta. Um, but for the people that do want to make their own pasta, I would say, yeah, our, our best selling things are handheld pasta tools. So not talking about like big machinery or anything mm. like that, but rather ravioli stamps and um, little boards that you can make gnocchi with. Um, little wheels that you can cut out your dough with and create um, more intricate shapes with. Um, those are for sure the best selling things. And then um, we also, on the other side, have a small selection of artisanal kitchenware. So things like spotterware ceramics and um, really cool linens that are handmade in Italy um, and things like that. I love it. Mm -hmm. uh, We've had this conversation on the podcast uh, before and not all that long ago, calendar years long ago, not many episodes ago, but mm -hmm. um, a little bit about the inspiration, a little bit about how it got started. And then I, I'd love to talk, like transition relatively quickly into some of the exciting changes in the last several months for the business, at least. Yeah. So where did, yeah. where did this come from? Like, and why, why you, why three years ago? Why, 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 why? Yeah, well, um, it started during the pandemic. 
Um, I was at home making a lot of pasta because I was bored and needed something to do. Um, and also living in Asheville, it's, it's a lot harder to find good fresh pasta. When we lived in New York, um, it was a lot easier to come by. So it didn't, didn't feel the need as much to make my own. Um, but yeah, I was making my own and I was sharing online the things that I was making. And I remember a lot of people were asking me questions about not only how to make the pasta, but the tools that I was using to make the pasta. And many of the things that I had were things that I had gotten when I lived in Italy um, and I had brought back with me. And I just suddenly had this idea that it would be really amazing to make some of these things more accessible and to also educate people more on how to make um, good pasta. And then that sort of just expanded into like, oh, wow, there's so many other really cool kitchenware items that people don't know about that are very specific to Italy or, or made in a very just interesting and unique way. Um, and so I just sort of sat with that idea for a few months and it was one of those things that wouldn't leave me alone. And so I just started working on it. And um, I remember actually reaching out to Gilly from where and asking her a bunch of questions about how to start a business in North Carolina and all these things, like how did how I needed to get set up. And she was really helpful um, in that. And then we launched in September. So it was like maybe five months, six months after I had the idea originally. Um, and we just since then have slowly added more products and figured out what works, what doesn't work, a lot of testing um, through sales and product samples and things like that. Mm. And I will attempt to fill in a blank uh, for a new audience member. You said when I lived in Italy. So yeah. Italy has been like, it's not like this new thing that you're interested in or Italian foods. You didn't pick it up during the pandemic, no. right? You like leaned into this part of you yeah. that was always probably a big part of you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so Tony, you obviously know all of this, but for everyone listening, um, Tony and I met in Italy. We studied abroad in Florence about what, 15, 15 years. years. I keep saying 10 years, but it's been 15 years. Um, and I would say even, even before that, I just always was interested in the language. I studied Italian in college. My grandmother is of Sicilian descent, so that was always just a really strong part of growing up. It was her talking about our family and making red sauce and um, just even like her mannerisms and things like that was just really important. So yeah, I always had this interest and then studied abroad, got to know the culture a lot more and felt like I needed to go back. And so when I graduated um, uh, from graduate school, I decided to delay getting a job and go to Italy um, and teach English for a little while. So and so, getting a job is in air quotes in this case because you did. I got a job. Yeah, you yes. got a job. Yes, but I, a I real delayed job. getting a, a job in my degree, which was accounting, um, which I really did not want to work in. Mm -hmm. um, I had done an internship and just didn't didn't like it that much. Um, and so I said, okay, let me let me go. Italy for a few months and just have that experience and then I'll come back and figure out what to do next. Um, Five years later, yeah. what, what happened? <laughs> and so yeah, then I ended up staying and I had to go through this long process of figuring out um, the, the legal implications of staying, which means getting a visa and um, I had to get a student visa, which means I had to enroll in school <laughs> there as well. But I also had a job at the same time. So I was working, teaching English part-time, um, going to school. And I, yeah, ended and all, up staying for the, five years. All the while, like running this like travel slash food blog. Anyway, my the, the headline is, yeah. lived in Italy for five years, obsessed over uh, Italian culture and specifically Italian food culture, and like have this background of consistently creating content about Italy and Italian food and yeah. food culture, yeah. come back to the US, land what is probably the craziest, most perfect dream-ish job for a, a tallophile, as I'll call it, someone in love with Italy. So your content, you're on the content team for Italy. Mm -hmm. uh, the probably the largest Italian product retailer in the U.S. or food retailer. Or yeah, I'm, supermarket I'm honestly concept. 
I'm honestly still shocked that I got that job because <laughs> I I didn't have any real marketing experience um, or any formal like content creation That's experience. Formal, I'll give you. But no, no. Yeah. I mean, I had a blog and I think that was a big part of yeah. maybe what they hired me. And I also could speak Italian. So I think that helped as well because there were a lot of people, true Italians that were working there. Most of my managers were all Italian. Um but yeah, and then that job just taught me so much more about um, working with Italians and also um, creating content in, you know, for a bigger company and, yeah. and what that entails. Cool. So pandemic comes yeah. and you lean into this side of you, this pasta maker that you'd already been, um, tools that you sort of already had. And there's this opportunity um to not just educate, but potentially solve the problem. Like, where do I get, like, where do you get uh, this thing, right? If, if, if you don't know Sarah Upertaccio and QB Cucina, where are these in the U.S.? Do they exist? Are they in, like, art stores? Yeah, I mean, so there are a lot of, um, there are a lot of, I would say, cheap pasta tools and expensive pasta tools available on even places like Amazon. Like you can get a gnocchi board on Amazon sure. um, for not very much money. Um, but a lot of them aren't very good. And like a lot of them are made of aluminum, um, which is just not as sharp or strong as the brass tools that we carry. So yeah, it's very, very yeah. heavy. Yeah. It's very sharp. So what I, what I mean to say is that you can find a lot of the things that we carry in our shop. Some things are totally unique to our shop. Um, you can find other substitutions, but they're definitely not the same quality. Yeah. So we we do spend a lot of time making sure that the products that we source um, are unique, really special, really different, and that they actually work well. Um, so we do a lot of comparing against other things. Hurt. Yeah. And so we've kind of gone through, and one of my intentions was to re-listen to a previous conversation about Kipi Kuchina, mm -hmm. but we had a, uh, a child that didn't take a nap. <laughs> and so I didn't, didn't get to re-listen. Um, I know some of the early stage stuff, like on attempting to source and launch, uh, I'd love to kind of fast forward from, all right, we have this idea, we're in the middle of the pandemic, to we launch, to... Uh, what do you think is the next kind of inflection point in the business? What What is like the next biggest mile marker after launch? Oh, um, thinking back, um, I think what we spend a lot of time on is um, seeing what is a bestseller, which which really takes time. Took took a year at least yeah. of of sales and it's it's always something that we're paying attention to. But I think we really looked at that after the first year and said, okay, what things are selling, <clears throat> excuse me, what things are selling really well um, and what things aren't selling really well. Um, and we would pare down the selection a little bit. Um, and then we also really evaluated our pricing. So when we first launched with our products, you know, again, we were all, it was all new to us. We didn't know how much things were going to cost just running a business. Yeah. Um, but after having a year, two years of data, we are now able to really clearly see, okay, this is how much we need to mark up our products um, in order to be profitable. Okay. Um, yeah, so I'd say those are, those. that was like the first <laughs> thing that we really tried to get better at. And I think that took us to a next level point. Cool. Yeah. We, uh, have heard some version of that throughout the season where it's like, mm -hmm. um, how much, uh, attention to detail should be paid in the unboxing experience. Right. Cause each, yeah. each added, uh, beautiful, thoughtful, uh, recycled or recyclable thing, mm -hmm. uh, adds cost. Yeah. And how are we accounting for those costs? Yeah. And typically not accurately when you start. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's, it's impossible to be that accurate when sure. you start because A, you don't know, like just packaging is one example. You don't even know if that packaging is the right packaging for you. Mm -hmm. And you're buying probably at really small quantities. And so the pricing that you're getting 
um, for those small quantities is probably very different than the pricing that you're going to get for larger quantities, et cetera. Um, and so and, you're between a rock and a hard place. Do I make yeah. this giant order of a box yeah, that might not have, be the right size box? Right. Or am I going to get uh, terrible, terrible rates on the mm -hmm. 50 that I start with? Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then for us, there's also these other factors like... Um, we have to factor in the costs that it, it takes, the cost it, um, from shipping from Italy yeah. to the US, which is changing all the time. Um, right now we're in a period of, of very high cost shipments from Italy. Although fortunately the exchange rate is pretty good yeah. between the Euro and the dollar, um, which is the other factor and that we have to think about when we're buying things is, are we getting, you know, are we paying a lot more relative to the actual value or relative to what we spent last year. So our, our COGS are, our cost of goods sold are always kind of fluctuating and it's something that we have to um, update quarterly basically yeah. for each product or every time we make a new order. It's so interesting. I think of a, of a buddy that's in like finance, works at a hedge fund who does, you know, I think some foreign exchange stuff. And one of the things that I remember him thinking about was, you know, should I leave money in this European bank account mm -hmm. because the exchange rate right now isn't that good? And mm -hmm. I, and there's a whole game to be played on just the exchange rate and just attempting to time when you send money into euros yeah. and when you pull money out of euros. And that assumes that you even have a European bank account, but making transactions um, as as dollar value changes is a really interesting concept that I, I probably didn't spend time thinking about until just now. Cool. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about the breadth and the shrinking consolidation expansion of product line, right? So there was a moment where it's like, let's do everything that's cute and beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, f and like using a pasta metaphor, throw it against the wall, see what sticks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which you should not which do. Which you should you're not. actually don't, cooking don't. pasta. <laughs> Just taste it. Um, <laughs> Do you, I mean, I imagine somebody does that. Um, but yeah, so let's throw some of these ideas against the wall, see what sticks. Mm -hmm. uh, what stuck, I imagine sales is the indicator of that it's not sticking. Um, yeah. But how have you gone and thought about product lines and expansions, contractions, expansions, et cetera? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you're right. Well, I mean, sales is obviously the number one factor that we look at, um, and so we'll just we'll monitor things. And if over time we see things aren't really moving that well, then we kind of rethink it. Like maybe it's time to just phase that product out. Um, and then we have our best selling that just always sell, um, which again is mostly the pasta tools. So we, we're focusing more on investing more money and time into expanding our line of pasta tools. Um, but the other factor is also just the fit of the product. So mm. we've, you know, over time I've realized some things just don't really fit in with the aesthetic that we're going for, even though it may be related to pasta, for example. Um, it's just not, we're trying to, we're trying to get better and better at what is that aesthetic that we want um, in our shop. And so that's an important thing. And then it's also just the pricing with the vendor. Sometimes we just can't make it work where they're offering us a certain price and we want to respect the artisan, whoever we're working with. Um, but we know that, um, in order to actually be profitable on that product, um, and to stay within a competitive range, Sometimes it just doesn't work out with all the other shipping costs and things that we have to to um, to think about. So, hmm. yeah. And one of the things that stands out to me as we kind of walk down that line is that it seems to me everything you sell baked into it has some version of a story, and mm. you you all yeah. do a particularly, from my perspective, good job of storytelling around mm -hmm. product. Um, it just, it seems like even, even a product that is special and has a story to be told about it that's special launched to an audience that is niche and already enthusiastic. If the price is just very different than yeah. all of the, um, what would be sub substitutions, uh, 
that are possible out there, mm-hmm. it seems like it's, it's a hard hill to climb. You mean like that? Like if you had mm-hmm. a uh, $400 one of these? Yeah. No story about how cute the old man is that makes it and the town where it comes from could sell enough that the juice is worth the squeeze? I, that's actually funny that you say that because we do have a couple of products that are very, they're on the higher end of price, but yeah. they've sold well. Yeah. Um, and they have a very interesting story to them. So one example, I don't have it here, but it's this pasta knife, which is basically this giant long knife. It has a, a straight sort of rectangular blade um, that's not serrated, just completely straight. Um, and then the handle is like this beautiful ivory handle. Um, so anyways, it's it's a very high-end product. I think it's like $250 knife yeah. um, that's used for a very specific purpose. Um, and while we haven't sold like hundreds of them or anything, yeah. um, it is something that people do buy. Yeah. Um, and I attribute that to, A, it's very hard to find anything else like this than in the U.S., um, B, I think sometimes when you do go into that higher range, people perceive it as something even more special. Um, And so they're willing to invest in it versus if it were lower, then they might might question like how good is this actual product? Um, Yeah, so it's kind of, it is a tricky line and it's not always predictable Mm. even for us to say, is this going to work or not. Um, another example would be this weird pasta comb here. You can't find this anywhere else in the U.S. right now, and it's made by this little old man in Italy. Um, and it's a very old-style tool. Um, looks like a loom, which is what it was basically designed after. Um, and this style of tool has been around for hundreds of years. This little guy is like one of the only few, I think one of the two people in the world that still makes um, possicums like this. Um, and we charge $70 for this one little tool, whereas this Nokia board, which is essentially almost the same purpose yeah. is $22. Um, both sell really well. And so yeah. price isn't always the factor, but the fact that this one has a really amazing story and it's just so unique. I think that that's ultimately what people buy into. Um, yeah, that was a long rant. <laughs> no, I love it. And that's, uh, honestly, I try to tee you up for that because, okay. <laughs> <laughs> because there is, yeah. there is something magic and everything is a substitute, right? Like, yeah. and you can, you can cut ravioli with, I imagine most anything that's circular, right? Yeah. You could use a, like a, an upside down glass. Like a metal, like cookie cutter that's round, mm-hmm. you know, and that, that works fine too, yeah. but and so the, everything is a substitute uh, for yeah. the goods that you're selling. The question is like, how do you then sell them? And it seems to me that it is a little bit of storytelling, a little bit of relationship mm-hmm. building, a little bit of um, and this is a theme throughout the season is people attempt to kind of outsource a portion of their brain. Right? It's like I'm interested in this. What mm-hmm. do I need in order to do this? Well, I can do all of the homework. And today, I think if you do the homework, you're probably doing it in some way and finding QB Cucina um, or, so. thi- or things that are like <laughs> yeah. adjacent and more so yeah. to come, I suspect. Yeah. Um, and it's like, and it's like, you know, when you're really into a particular hobby or something, you want like all the gear, you know, you want all I the do. cool stuff. So it's like, I think we, our type of customer, our best customers are the people that want to collect all these beautiful things and, showcase them on a shelf in their kitchen and they're almost like um art in their kitchen um in addition to being functional yeah we heard that same concept from our friends at sour house eric yeah um is the idea of can we make something beautiful and worthy Mm -hmm. of the countertop yeah and uh and part of what i think so there's just like purely aesthetic and then there's the other things. It's like the way you feel when you look at the thing. Mm-hmm. And um, all of these seem to hold within them the ability to, to make people feel a certain way. Mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. olive wood makes me feel a certain way. Yeah, like you were talking with your friend Davis the other day yeah. about, 
you guys were in Italy and Tuscany probably, and you were looking at these really cool olive wood knives and like how you've never seen anything like that before. And I think people, if they've been to Italy and then they come back and they're like, oh man, I really would love to have that thing that I saw in Italy, that splatterware that I saw in Italy. Um, And, you know, to order it from the artist in Italy can be a challenge and the shipping can be a time. So we're just trying to make that easier and more accessible for people um, to do. Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Outsourcing the importing, (laughs) outsourcing what products are worthy and outsourcing uh, what products are sort of required. Also because many Italians are very old fashioned and they don't have like websites for their products or they just don't even know how to do business in the US. Um, I mean, that's changing as like younger generations take over, but um, that's also another thing too. Yeah. Yeah. Heard. Dang. Okay. So uh, I'll say that that's a bow on the end of the milestone two or so. What, um, what perhaps are some of the recent inflection points and uh, changes that stand out in the QB Cucina story? Yeah, well, we've been trying to find ways to scale up um, and, and find more sources of income that are repeatable and also higher have a higher margin for us. Um, with the pasta tools, they're beautiful and I hope that they last people a lifetime, which is a really great thing, but it also means that having a repeat customer um, is a lot harder over time because once you have the thing, you have the thing and yeah. hopefully, like I said, it lasts you forever. You don't need to replace it. It's not a consumable product. Um, so we were thinking a lot about that and um, at the same time, I had a... Instagram friend slash customer approached me who um, she runs these Instagram cookbook clubs where she would pick a different cookbook and people would cook from the book every month and they'd post it on Instagram. And it's this really cool thing that she's been doing. So she approached me and she said, hey, I really would love to do a cookbook club with QB Cucina. And I was like, this is perfect. I'm so glad that you reached out. And um, together we just sort of worked on it and um, eventually came up with the idea of this Italian cookbook club um, where we would cook from a different Italian cookbook every couple of months and speak with authors and really just expand it upon what she was already doing. Um, And so that's been our second inflection point is offering this subscription membership um, service and it's gone really well. We've, uh, I think have over 60 members at this point and, um, we're about five books in. So almost through the full year now and definitely something that we'll keep doing as time goes on. Interesting. And I'm going to attempt to connect some dots here. Yes. What stands out to me is that you have a customer type who is uh, either enthusiastic or ravenous mm-hmm. or interested. Mm-hmm. And then what you have are products that are like timeless and should last forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like, what is the thing that gets these folks on the outer bound of a demand curve to continue to be a customer? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems to me that there was always an opportunity to do some sort of uh, continuity, some sort of subscription, some sort of like, let's do, let's be enthusiasts together. Um, And that would give a lot of value to folks who are ravenous and excited because now they have their tribe. Mm -hmm. And then it could also take the folks who are on that earlier stage of like, this is something I think I'm into and give them, uh, like a community to draft off of yeah. to say like, Hey, here's what the on-ramp looks like. You can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, stick with it. We're all in this together. Uh, yeah. I've been very kind of excited to see that grow and really interested in, in the rollout that you you've chosen. So mm-hmm. like technically how, how did you attempt to set this up and how have you, um, kind of communicated this cookbook cookbook club? Yeah. 
Well, the things that are included, we'll start there. Um, besides just being a member, um, is you have the option to choose if you want to include cookbooks in your membership or not. So yeah. that's a again, if you're watching tier. YouTube, we got a couple of examples of the beautiful cookbooks, uh, potentially in frame. Yes. So like for tip, sure. like almost you know all cookbooks are sort of gorgeous. Yeah. Uh, but modern cookbooks, especially, are just like loaded with beautiful photos and they're almost coffee mm -hmm. table books but we don't want them to be coffee table books do we we want them to be dog-eared and pasta stained and uh messy and used and lived in but continue okay so you have the option to add the books yeah so so the books um can be included in your membership so you don't even have to like worry about sourcing the book or anything um you have access to a slack group which i think is one of the coolest parts of the club and it's where most of the activity kind of takes place. Um, so our members in there, they post the recipes that they're making, what they think about the recipe, any tips for making that recipe from the book. And then we have other channels in the group that aren't related necessarily to the book we're cooking from, but it could be things like, hey, like anyone know where to find these really good um, tin tomatoes or really good anchovies? And people will share recommendations or where they source stuff. Um, you know, anybody have any good TV, sh Italian TV shows to watch? So it really has expanded, um, expanded beyond, mm. <laughs> um, just, you know, what we're cooking in that book. And honestly, it's, I've seen it just grow and to the point where I don't need to prompt people anymore. They just go in there and share stuff and then people respond and it just sort of, it's like taken its own, um, become its own thing mm. thanks to the members that are contributing there constantly. Um, so that's a really cool thing. And then we have an, a virtual event every month. Um, since we have members all across the country, we meet virtually. Um, and usually one event is more informal, like an aperitivo where we get together and people will make, you know, their Italian cocktails or their Italian appetizers. And we'll chat about a particular topic that's related to the book that we're cooking from. And then the second event is usually some kind of author event um, where we either interview the author or they do a cooking demo for us. Mm. Um, or or some some we try to connect it back to the author, even if the author's not alive, for example. Um, and then and beyond that, all of our members also have a discount in our shop and they get free shipping on any products that they order. Which is meaningful in a small business. Yeah, I mean, our, our shipping rate is $9.99 per order flat rate any, for any orders under $150. Mm -hmm. um, so if members just want to like go on and order one thing or order the book, if they don't have it in their membership, they can get you know a discount and free shipping, which is... If you use that a lot, you know, it's, it's definitely worth it, mm. um, um, for, you know, what you're paying for the it, membership. And if you're yeah. uh, particularly money motivated, which is not, you know, the ideal customer, but yeah, you can make the, whatever the cost yeah. is back just on savings and shipping. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. really interesting. And then is this, oh, cool. I love it so much. Can I sign up today, Sarah? Yeah, so unfortunately, we don't have registration open all the time. I don't because think that's unfortunate. I think it's an interesting It is. It's concept. interesting. It's, yeah. it's, it's hard. It's challenging from the point of view that... Operationally. Yeah, like you might miss people, like that opportunity when people are like, yes, I really want to do this. And then a month later, they like forget and they don't check their email when we send them the reminder and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But um, it, it does help us operationally and it does create that sense of urgency, I think. So we open it up every two months, which allows us to calculate, okay, how many books will we need for the next round so we can order enough books for everybody? Um, and then just also operationally, there's a lot of manual things that we're still doing, like adding people to the Slack group and um, making sure that everyone's in the right email list and they're getting the right, you know, flow of mm. emails and things like that. So, um, yeah, that's what we found has worked so far. And we do have an email like pop up when it is closed. So people can put in their email and get notified when registration opens up again. Cool. Hello. Are you watching on YouTube, listening on your favorite podcast player? If you're not on YouTube, 
perhaps consider it because behind us, you would notice that we are in an absolutely beautiful space. And that space is our season sponsor, Ernest Ready Made Warehousing. And so if you're not familiar with Ernest, uh, it is fantastic. I am joined here by my wife, Sarah Ubertaccio, founder hey. of QB Cucina and one of Ernest's newest clients. Yeah, excited to be back on the podcast. Great to have you back. Episode 110, if you haven't listened before. But what we want to talk about today is why you chose Ernest and what makes Ernest stand out, let's say, compared to uh, finding a new office space in town to fulfill from. As a very high level, Ernest is a 30,000 square foot facility on Sweeten Creek, just south of Asheville. Huge facility, beautiful facility. Uh, why did you choose to go with Ernest instead of any other place in Asheville? Yeah, well, I have a small growing business, e-commerce. We sell pasta tools and Italian kitchenware. And we currently outgrew the space that we were in and really needed um, a different kind of space. And so I love Ernest. I love the fact that uh, as we grow, Ernest can scale with us. So they have different sized co-warehousing spaces. Um, so if we, if we grow bigger, we can just quickly move over to a different space within the same building, which is a really huge time saver. I also really love that they have daily, sometimes multiple times a day, um, pickups from UPS, FedEx, and USPS. So we don't have to worry about packages getting lost or stolen, and our team doesn't have to drop them off at the post office. And it just saves us all a bunch of time and headache. Um, and also they have temperature controlled rooms, which for a business like us, we, one of our products is pasta flour. It's really sensitive to temperature. It's really, really important for us to make sure that our products are secure and not, um, not getting damaged while they're being stored in our warehouse. Um, and I love all the other amenities. I love they have a photography studio so we can quickly photograph our products. They have a full break room. Um, they have co-working space that we're able to use for our meetings with team members and other people um, that may come to, to see us. And then just the sense of community being around other uh, small businesses is something that we currently don't have. And I'm really, really looking forward to, to connecting with others here. I love that. EarnestReady.com if you've not uh, visited that before. Or you can check out makingitinashville.com forward slash Ernest. And we have a bunch of information about the partnership we've built for this season, as well as some perhaps special discounts and incentives. If you happen to be a e-commerce business or the right fit for Ernest, you should definitely check out makingitinashville.com forward slash Ernest, E-R-N-E-S-T. And back to the episode. That is a big change. So 10 months ago, that had been like, no, I'm doing it wrong. Uh, almost the start of the year. Mm-hmm. So was it was it was it December? Was it January? When did we launched it? I think at the end of November with the concept that they would sign up and then we would start in January. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So and, yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. part of me can see a future where it becomes its own like big thing and has its own yeah. sense of momentum. Even I mean, sixty mm-hmm. sixty people in a community and that are committed to the community is like it's huge. Like congratulations, we've had, yeah. you know, uh, Runner Box and um, Rider Box with thousands of subscribers. Yeah. totally different beasts, totally different game. We're still a very small business, so for us, that's that meaningful. is really meaningful. And yeah. to our numbers too. I mean, um, this year's been challenging, and I think a lot of businesses have experienced. Yeah, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of volatility. Um, and for us, our product sales aren't as good as they were last year, but because of the cookbook club sales, that's able to, that's been able to buffer it and even bring us ahead of where we were yeah. last year. I mean, I'm, I'm into it. I think there's, uh, some legs there. I can imagine, you know, uh, 60 people, whatever percent say, yeah, send me the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to represent for most cookbook authors, one of the biggest purchasers of their book, if you... I don't know, but I, I mean, mean, there's Barnes & Noble and whatever, sure, but, but, uh, but as, like, as a small retailer, Yeah, maybe, I just yeah. think of like, is Malaprops buying 30 of mm-hmm. a specifically regional Italian cookbook? Yeah. Maybe not. And like, I don't know many... That's my point. It's not Barnes & Noble. I'm talking about yeah. like, compared yeah. to a boutique kind of library bookstore experience... You have to be in the mix, um, and so I can imagine quickly in the in the years ahead uh, having some relative weight in the publishing space if this thing yeah. continues to grow like it is. Yeah, I mean, my hope is that, and this is already kind of happening, but authors have started to approach us and Ooh. say, "Oh, I hey, I have this book coming out, or I just released this book, and I would really love to be a part of your cookbook club," and that's 
A, that's really cool for me because I love cookbooks and attend cookbooks and like being able to talk with authors of these books. It's like they're like celebrities to me, you know, it's really cool. Um, but it's also feels good because we're able to support them mm. in a new way that maybe hasn't been done before. And having their interest means that we have more buy-in from them to do events with us and to also help us, you know, with our members and make that connection. So, yeah. heard. Uh, is there a dream author? I have a guess who who <laughs> this person might be, but are there any dream authors? You have to guess. I do have a guess. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, Amiko Davies is a really big one in the space, and we actually haven't cooked from many of her cookbooks yet this year, but I would definitely plan to in the next year. She's actually an Australian, um, Australian Japanese cookbook, um, author, but she lives in Italy and has several books about Italian cooking. Mm. Um, there are many, there are many others. I, I can't name them all. And <laughs> I was going to get Stanley ruin. Tucci, who's like oh, a, I mean, a, a departure from your traditional yeah. <laughs> cookbook. I mean, the reality is Stanley Tucci probably doesn't write his own cookbooks. I, They're probably ghostwritten and they take some pictures and maybe they are his family recipes. But like, yeah. Anyways, I would love to one day talk with Stanley Tucci. People who know me and know Cupid Kishina know that I'm a little bit obsessed. And <laughs> Hard not to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Amico Davies and uh, I'll put Stanley Tucci in the ring as a yeah. as a dream yeah. cat. They're all they're all so special. Even the lesser known ones, they all have a really interesting story and interesting take. So yeah. it's all they're yeah. all really cool to talk and with. And there's a shared passion for sure. Cool. Yeah. I love uh, I love su subscription engines in a business, and so mm -hmm. that has given me a lot of. Uh, excitement watching yeah. your business and Tony helped a lot with the subscription part I will just have to like shout him out um he you advised me a lot on that process both in how to price how to price it you know how to include more things in there to make it more valuable um you were your big reason why we have this cookbook club subscription so yeah. oh cool thank you I Support, 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 support. So appreciate <laughs> My business that. consultant. I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. We're a team. Mm -hmm. And uh, what else has been a meaningful mile marker in the QB story? Ooh. <clears throat> I'm trying to so, think about Something this. comes to mind for me. Yeah, go ahead. Let's look around. Where are we in the world? Oh, yeah, we just <laughs> moved. We just moved. Um, so when I started QB, we stored, we started storing all of our products at, at Tony and I's marketing agency's office. So we had an office downtown mm -hmm. um, as making it creative. And that's where we worked from. We had a small apartment at the time. So I was like, I'm not going to store these things at home. So I stored them there. And then slowly, 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 um, QB just sort of took over that office space and making it creative moved out essentially <laughs> as we had a kid and yeah. we're working from home more and more. Um, and it got to the point where we were just running out of the right kind of space there. It was really more designed to be a office space where you sit at a computer and whatever, not really a storage or warehouse space. Um, so we started looking around for another space and Ernest came up um, and we chatted with them for several months to see if it would be a good fit. Um, and then we moved a couple of months ago. And so far it's been really awesome. It's just made our business way more efficient and made things a lot easier for our team. Um, we're on a ground level now, which in our previous office mm. space we were on the second level. It was like really hard for um, delivery people to find us. Um, there's just a lot of a lot of factors. So now we're in a space yeah. that's just specifically designed for e-commerce businesses. Um, and so there's just so many more amenities and things that, that make our lives easier. Yeah. I, um, 
24 hour access is something that came up when I was talking with Jamie earlier. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh yeah, you know, I just saw Hannah. And she's like, I don't even think I've seen Hannah. She, I think she comes at like six or. She comes in so early. <laughs> yeah. She has two kids. Hannah's our um, uh, fulfillment manager. And also she does a lot of marketing stuff for us too, which is wonderful. Um, but yeah, she has two young kids. So like her working hours, ideal working hours are like super early in the morning, which is great because she can just come in um and she could she could do that at the old office space too but there were limitations on parking and when it's dark like it's just a little less less it feels a little less safe so yeah there's more people around and security and things like that and then the you know i don't believe this episode will have the uh the mid episode ad read about the e-commerce horror story i'm looking at the conflict of interest yeah but uh Um, but you know there was this the story that we tell in an advertisement about the e-commerce horror story like i went as we were setting up you know two giant uh there was a giant fedex 52 foot you know 18 wheeler fedex truck that uh arrived there was this other freightliner uh truck that arrived and the ability to just take what needs to be shipped put it into a, a a shipping area just here using a wheelie cart not have to go upstairs not have to go outside seems like a a high value yeah deliveries yeah definitely it's just a better setup and yeah. for the long term too as i think if you know we want to grow i hope we grow yeah um it's just going to be a lot easier for us than being in a little cubicle kind of space yeah. we haven't um we haven't needed, or we, have you needed to use, I'll ask it as a question, like an answer <laughs> okay, in sure. a Jeopardy question. Have you needed to use uh, Ernest to support fulfillment yet? That's funny you say that. I actually reached out to Chelsea today hmm. um, to explore some options in the holiday season um, because I am anticipating that things are going to be really busy. We have one employee, hmm. so... Um, if something happens, if she's sick or can't come in or she can't work more than X number of hours a week, we definitely need a backup. Um, so yeah, I think there's a couple of options that I remember Chelsea saying one is they can fulfill it in their fulfillment space and you like give them the products and everything, or they can come into our space and fulfill it, which is probably what we'll end up doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I also think, you know, there's a... Italy trip coming up and so whether yeah. it's holiday or uh yeah. just a, a, a day while we're not here yeah uh to have that backup and I was wondering if you had tested it yet no not yet haven't tested it yet I mean the other option that it just just to kind of depends on how what we decide but we might also just hire like a temporary person yeah. ourselves and and train them on what to do um so yeah, but there the the option to have someone at Ernest fulfill for us is great, and I think that that's a really cool thing, especially if you have like a one if you're a one product business or something, and you don't want to deal with fulfillment. I think they have a team here that could just do that for you, which yeah, is cool. Yeah, they're pick, pick and pack and ship. Yeah, the yeah. Engine is pretty pretty strong. Yeah. Um. Cool. Cool. I hadn't uh, been certain of that, and so glad to know now. The other thing that I'm considering uh, as, like, have you used it, have you done it, is um, digital advertising. Like, what what mm. is what is inbound audience growth? Like, how are you thinking about growing demand for the business? So yeah. uh, what stands out to me is, like, your content – and I'll, mm-hmm. I said digital advertising, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking all things about growth, right? So content has always been seemingly the heart and soul of yeah. how you build audience. Um, is digital advertising making a, 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 a let's say, uh, is it showing up in Q4? An appearance. In appearance. That's the word <laughs> yeah. I was looking for. Making an appearance in Q4. Yeah. Um, I know I'm looking at our producer, John. I know that you guys have uh, cooked some stuff up for mm-hmm. uh, QB Kutina. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about what's coming down the pike. Yeah, well, looking back, uh, you nailed it on the head, like content and um, organic search has always been our strongest 
think that's that's helped us um, and social media as well, Instagram specifically. And I think in part that's because that's what my background is in a little bit. Like I, I that's the thing I'm most knowledgeable knowledgeable about with marketing. And so we've really leaned in heavily to recipes and how to guides and stories that that relate back to our products in some way. Mm. Um, the other point that that really helped us in the beginning um, was working with an influencers and pasta Instagram people mm. um, where point, yeah. they would create recipes for us and share it. And we gained a lot of our, I would say, base audience that way um, and gained a lot of authority just because that built up our audience. And so now we have, you know, a bigger following on Instagram where I think people perceive that as okay, people, these people are legit. Yeah, yeah. People know what they're doing. Um, so yeah, those two things really helped us so far. Um, now, as you alluded to, we're looking at other ways. So one is more content. So we made some videos with John, um, that we're focused on like the basics of pasta making and you know here what are the tools that you need and how do you make this dough and how do you make a few like shapes with some of our tools so we're going to be launching those videos on youtube mm. um this fall which i'm very excited about because i think that that is an untapped channel for us and it also provides support for customers who have already bought from us. So if they're like, hey, how do you make your dough? Or how do you use that one tool? Can you show me? We can point to those videos. Um, and then just also the YouTube search engine, I think is gonna be, like the YouTube Google connection is just gonna be really, really big for us. Um, so that, and then yes, digital ads is something that we're coming back to. We dabbled in it um, a couple of years ago. I took a course on digital ads for e-commerce and ran some ads myself. And then about the time that that course was ending, the new iOS update came mm. out and we just weren't seeing as good of returns. So we stopped um, for a year or so. Um, but now we're coming back to it and I've hired an agency to help us with digital ads. So we're gonna be doing Google search ads, Google shopping ads and um, Facebook, Instagram mm. ads. So we haven't launched yet, but that's something that I really hope as we go into the holiday season just bolsters everything um, and we get some new customers from that too. Anything else? What are you alluding to? Because <laughs> I know you have something in your mind. <laughs> just thinking, uh, it, it seems like uh, the website that you currently have yes. uh, might be changing. Yeah, so... We built our website ourselves on um, WordPress. on WordPress using WooCommerce as the e-commerce platform. Um, I set everything up initially because I was pretty familiar with WordPress and, and can sort of like finagle some design things. I did hire some folks to help me with some functionality and so a little you know design things that I couldn't fix. So we did have some help there, but it was really more like. Um, you know, not band-aids, but just little fixes. I wasn't like a full yeah. website. Um, so we've gotten to the point where there are just a lot of limitations with our current theme on WordPress and the way things are set up. It just me makes, it's very slow for us to set up certain things. And there are a lot of limitations for the customer when they check out and the, the experience there is a little bit broken. Mm. So um, we've hired Dustin to help us refresh the website so he's got us a new theme um, the design is very similar like he kept a lot of the design elements and the look and feel but just made it a little nicer for us um, and then he really worked on a lot of the functionality especially when it comes to the checkout um, making that an easier quicker experience for mm. the customer so we haven't launched that yet but I'm hoping in the next couple of months we'll have a new refreshed website that works a lot better and easier and makes our lives a lot easier too. Yeah. Lots happening in Q4. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's exciting. It's just, it's, uh, I'm taking a moment like, wow. Yeah, it is. It went from, uh, an idea mm 
mm-hmm. to like a full-blown thing in this beautiful space with a ton of product in the back and someone, you know, fulfilling. It's pretty rad. Yeah, it is really cool. When I look back on the past few years, um, and of course it's like easy to think about all the things that we haven't done yet mm-hmm. and that we want to do. Um, what are they? Um, well, I mean, I think a, just figuring out how to scale. I mean, you know, that the past few years have been like steady, which is great, but we haven't, I just feel like we haven't unlocked that next level of how to, um, have more revenue streams and how to have more customers coming in without us having to like put a lot of time and effort yeah, into social you, you media, want, for yeah, example. The one-to-one, you don't want twice the sales for twice the work. Yeah, there, yeah. We need something to, that is a little more yeah, hands-off for us that, that can go, which is where the digital ads piece comes in. Um, and potentially the content piece, potentially content in a new channel. And the content, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, and then the other thing that I think is a dream of ours is to be able to offer more experiences. So trips to Italy, potentially, um, thinking very much about pasta and food focused mm. um, trips and tours is something that we are dreaming about. We haven't yet. I think it's like, such a reality. Yeah. <laughs> it's so possible. Uh, yeah. Quick shout out to Past Guest Boomer, who yeah. had, uh, we had a great, he does a, so Making a Nashville does Money Maker Mixers. If you're not on our email list, you, I welcome you to join our email list. It's where the first people to hear about our monthly mixer. Mm-hmm. Um, dear friend of the pod, uh, Boomer Sassman, previous guest, uh, also has a, a version of that, much smaller, slightly, you know, and, and intimate, but uh, to the folks there, do mm-hmm. tours in mm-hmm. one in France, one pretty much all over, you know, that kind of region in Europe, Italy sometimes as well, has a tour going uh, that starts in Florence and ends in Pisa next week, oh, wow. uh, <laughs> which is which is cool and, and kind of uh, funny. But a meaningful portion of my conversation last night was about running a mm-hmm. uh, tour business based in the U.S. working in Europe. And my sense, and I said it last night, I hadn't heard you say this in a, in a while. My sense is that that'll be a real part of our world at some point. Yeah. It almost has yeah. to be. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I hope so. There's a lot of pieces in there um, that we have to sort out. Sure. Um, and a lot of, it's all about connections really too. So it's like yeah. having someone boots on the ground in Italy, which yeah. is, something that we want to do more we want to go to Italy more and more but because yeah. of the past two years because of COVID because we had a baby like yeah. it's just we haven't been able to dedicate as much time to that yeah. so I'm hoping that Fun. in future years there will be more time well, for that you just spoke it into reality yeah. I'm sure yeah. um are there any other wild hopes and dreams oh I mean many um I've, I mean, I don't know if this is something we'll actually do, but I've thought about sort of like a pasta masterclass course before. Um, I like that. Yeah. Even, even like a, a, a baby version of that. That's just like the YouTube yeah. videos that you put out that <laughs> is like intro to pasta seems yeah. piece of cake. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, if you wanted uh, on the back end to have some sort of masterclass, I think it's. That also you're teen yourself up to be, you know, local experts yeah. and and own that whole yeah. customer lifecycle from the beginning. I'm interested, or have someone that's interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, another th- thought, and I'm answering your question for you, is like we have this amazing young human in our home. Mm-hmm. It and you're an educator, <laughs> you know, uh, so to speak language educator, but a huge part of who I see you as is a person who is great at teaching things. Yeah. Um, it seems to me there's a version where there's like kid focused pasta classes for families, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, that gets the whole family cooking together. Uh, that shows up in my mind when I go like, what are the Venn diagrams, the concentric <laughs> circles? It's like, yeah. Teaching pasta. Yes. Intro course. Yes. Masterclass. What's the other angle on it? 
Yeah, no, you've you, you've like pointed to something. It's like I, I think that I really love teaching mm. and some of that may come from my days teaching English yeah. in Italy. Um, and I really love also teaching through content too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it just sort of combines both worlds of loving to create content and develop and the whole process of that, even like thinking about SEO to me, like kind of feeds that analytical side of my brain. Um, and then the educating part is really cool because getting to connect with people is, it's something that I don't get to do often being an e-commerce yeah. manager, you know, I'm yeah. connecting people digitally, but I'm not doing that personally or face-to-face -face yeah. as much so well doing that more. speaking of personally and face-to-face yeah. -face, i don't know if this is going to be a big part of 2024 but you have done some pasta classes personally yeah. and face to face yeah. in asheville yeah we did a few partnering with um the chow asheville group which is sort of a subgroup of metro wines um we did a series of pasta classes with them last year yeah. and it was really fun they were a really fun group of people um hosted at this um, woman's beautiful house yeah. and everything. And yeah, that was, that was really fun. The challenge that we face with that is a finding a space that's going to be really conducive, conducive to teaching pasta. Um, and then be just finding ways to make it most worthwhile of our time, because there's so much time that goes into setting everything up and bringing everything to wherever it's going to be. Yeah. Um, that it, it, we need to be able to maybe have more people or or something so yeah. it's 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 very fun it's very tiring for me yeah. so i have to yeah it uses your extrovert yes. energy yeah and maxes it out mm -hmm. cool the only other thought that i have i'm gonna try and tee you up for it. any other hopes and dreams in this no just say it <laughs> I, I so i i think that you're gonna write a cookbook at some point i'm like confident that that is a part of uh your trajectory and it yeah. it, it seems all but inevitable at this point to me yeah yeah i definitely have dabbled with different concepts for cookbooks before and i think in part part of it is just like finding the time to write the recipes and like kind of draft an introduction that I would send to a publisher, for example. Um, and then the other part of it is I go back to, is this the right time? Do I have the right concept for a book? Um, I, I don't know. I, I think a lot about Elizabeth Gilbert and her story of I think remember she had like an idea for a book one time. Oh, yeah. And then another author who's famous, I can't remember her name, wrote it wrote it like elizabeth never sat down and wrote it and then this other author wrote it and it was like almost the exact same story <laughs> and elizabeth was like what the heck and she attributes that to like this creative spirit that came through her and then left her and went to this other author who actually wrote the book <laughs> and sometimes i think about that a little bit like okay what is this creative calling and have i found that yet because it has to be something that's also going to sell well, that a publisher is going to like, you know, accept. And it also has to be something that I really want to write and that I can see myself spending hours and hours cooking those kinds of recipes. Yeah. So Years I'm still waiting yeah, for that. I, I, I would think. say, uh, to me, less important, will mm -hmm. it sell? Like, I think... Well, not will it sell, but will the publisher accept it? Because I don't want to go the self-publishing route. I want to... Have a publisher publish it. Heard. I so what yeah, I I understand that. I hear that. And I can't even go so far as to say I agree with that. Yeah. My thing is that a publisher the thing that's always stood out to me is that a publisher is gonna make bets that they know are winning bets. And I think part of it is gonna be a concept. The other part is does this person have distribution? And you happen to be building a really powerful distribution engine, which is your, mm -hmm. the community of people who yeah. have uh, joined you in your enthusiasm for Italian food and Italian culture mm -hmm. and Italian products. And so um, if it were any Joe Schmo who's like, I want to write a book about, you know, how basil is used on all of these different uh, dumb idea. If it's mm -hmm. Sarah saying I'm going to use a, a book just on basil, they go. 
maybe there's something there (laughs) yeah yeah no it definitely helps having an audience to speak with um but you also have to be able to communicate your idea Mm -hmm. and have something very specific and unique um i get that yeah i get that yeah there Uh, are lots of ideas lots lots. so exciting uh anything on your heart or mind when you said i'm gonna be on the making it in Asheville podcast this re this this regionally renowned podcast (laughs) uh was there anything that you were hoping we would talk about that we haven't so far no but i will say if anyone here locally is interested in learning more about making pasta or you want to try out one of our tools we don't we don't have a shop physically in yeah. Asheville, and I, I sometimes do get asked, "Can I come, you know, pick something up, or can I come look at your shop?" And um, unfortunately, we, you know, we don't have that physical space. But if you are interested in something, we can definitely work up a local pickup, so you don't have to pay for shipping. And um, yeah, I love connecting with other foodies mm. and people who love Italy. So if you're if you're local and you're one of those, reach out because I'd love to connect. Love it. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having me back.